Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. A little bit of military weirdness. One of my drill sergeants actually has a creepy story from one of the Afghanistan deployments he was on. He was infantry, so being out in the field for multiple weeks wasn't uncommon. One night while sleeping, he felt something nibbling at his feet. He woke up and kicked it off, and what he saw wasn't any type of marsupial but a little humanoid figure he could only describe as looking just like Gollum. But being in the field with little sleep, he chalked it up to just seeing things. A couple days later, he and another guy were on watch, and the other guy pointed out something and said, What the heck is that? He pointed to a stone wall in the distance. My drill sergeant looked through his binoculars and crawling across the top of this stone wall, was the exact little humanoid creature he encountered a few nights before. I worked in Arlington National Cemetery while I was in the Army. The tomb guards always talked about seeing or just hearing soldiers marching some nights. We were cataloging graves one night when I thought I saw a soldier in my team up ahead, so I called him over. He answered from behind me. When I looked back, the other soldier was gone. I'm a skeptic, and I believe everything paranormal has a real-world explanation. But I'm still trying to figure that one out. From Chris Berman, 410. During World War II, a remote village in Switzerland became the site of strange happenings when a British company of soldiers stayed there. Wood tarps and valuables began disappearing, which were dismissed until a child went missing. When more children 
as well as a private from a British company disappeared. Rumors of a monster spread. One night, soldiers saw a mysterious figure and chased after it, thinking it was the being that preyed on the village. Though they never caught the figure, the soldiers discovered a cave. Shots were fired from inside the cave, and the soldiers returned fire. Upon pressing further into the cave, soldiers found the body of the British, of the British private. He'd been shot through the heart. He was surrounded by the half-eaten bodies of the children that went missing. Horrid Mystery, The Man Who Vanished As Mysteriously As He Came It was July 1954 when a smartly dressed man arrives at the airport in Tokyo, Japan. Much like other passengers, he makes his way to customs, but whatever happened from this point onwards have left all puzzled and concerned. When questioned by the customs officers, the mysterious passenger said he was from Tarid. The mystery man claimed that it was the third time he was visiting Japan from his country, but to the surprise of officers, they couldn't find any country named Tarid. The primary language of the man, described as Caucasian looking with a beard, was French. However, he was purportedly speaking Japanese and many other languages as well. Officers were perplexed because they had never heard about any such country. The passport of the man was issued by, of course, Tarid, and the passport looked authentic, but the place was not recognized. The man was then given a map and asked to point out his country. He immediately pointed to the area occupied by the Principality of Andorra. Andorra is at the border of France and Spain. The man said that his country has been in existence for a thousand years and was a little puzzled by why his country was called Andorra on the map. The man argued with the customs officers and refused to give in. He was also carrying currencies of different countries, probably because he had made several business trips. The mystery man shared other details like the company for which he was working and the hotel where he was staying. Officials found out that the company which he mentioned existed in Tokyo. Similarity, similarly, the hotel he mentioned did exist, but hotel employees informed them they had no such booking for the man. This prompted officers to take the man in custody for further interrogation. The officers were suspicious that he might be some criminal and they confiscated his documents and personal belongings. The officers put the mystery man in a nearby hotel whilst they conducted their investigation. To ensure that the mystery man didn't escape, two guards were placed on the door. It must be mentioned that the hotel room in which he was staying only had one entry and one exit. But to everyone's surprise, the man vanished 
the next morning. Not only that, but all his personal documents had also disappeared. A search was launched to find the man, but in vain. The thing that was troubling investigating officers was that he was put up in a room high up in the multi-story hotel building with no balcony. American Horror Story fans are probably familiar with Lobster Boy Jimmy Darling, played by actor Evan Peters. His condition, known as ectrodactyly, earned him the stage name of Lobster Boy. So did you know that this character was based on a real-life man by the name of Grady Styles Jr.? Grady Styles Jr. was born on June 26, 1937 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Grady Stiles Sr. and his wife Edna. Grady Sr. had a genetic condition, ectrodactyly, in which the fingers and toes are fused together to form claw-like extremities. He passed his condition on to his son, Grady Jr., and this was the sixth generation of the family to be born with a deformity. Grady Jr. was brought into his father's sideshow act at the age of seven in a traveling carnival show. Grady Jr. was an instant hit on the carnival freak show circuit. He would use his arms and limbs to crawl around, creating an extraordinarily strong upper body. On occasion, he would also use a wheelchair. While in the show, he met a woman named Mary she too worked at the carnival, but she had no deformities. She was a runaway and was considered to be a carny. The two married and had two children, one being born with a deformity. She too became part of the show, along with the half-brother appearing as the lobster family. Grady was an alcoholic and he was a mean drunk. He frequently beat and abused both his wife and children. When it was off-season, they lived in Gibsonton, Florida, also known as Showtown, USA. Many carnival and circus performers gathered there while not on tour. Eventually, he threw his wife and children out. Mary remarried the world's smallest man, Harry Glenn Newman, and they had one child together. Grady also remarried, this time to a woman named Barbara Browning. He and Barbara had a son that had ectrodactyly and became that son became part of the Lobster Family show. By the time Grady had remarried, his daughter Donna was engaged and planning a wedding. Apparently, Grady did not like Donna's fiancé and did not approve of the marriage. On the night before the marriage, he asked her fiancé to come over to the house just to talk. Grady instead took a shotgun and murdered him on the spot. As Donna, let, as Donna held her bleeding fiancé while he died, her father said, I told you I would kill him, and smiled. Grady never showed any remorse. There was no doubt about Grady's guilt as he freely confessed to the crime, 
but he never served time for it. Grady went to trial, where he pleaded guilty to third-degree murder. Although he pleaded guilty in 1979, Grady's life of alcoholism and cigarette smoking had taken its toll. He had cirrhosis of the liver and emphysema in addition to his ectrodactyly. Therefore, it was determined he would not receive adequate medical care in prison. Although he was convicted of murder, Grady was sentenced to only 15 years of probation. Donna never spoke to her father again. Escaping prison made Lobster Boy cocky, and he reportedly told others he would kill them and get away with it, since he already had. The verdict had a large impact on Grady's first wife, Mary, who inexplicably remarried him in 1989. His ill-tempered drinking, coupled with a feeling of invincibility, made Grady even more abusive than he had been before. Grady's pattern of drinking and abuse continued. He was often heard threatening to kill his wife and his family. Mary reportedly endured being choked by him. She would wake up to find him holding a knife to her throat. He also sexually abused her and once tried to smother her with a pillow after she shook after she suggested getting a divorce. After one particularly violent altercation, Mary was quoted as saying, something needs to be done. Mary's son Glenn, from her second marriage, hired a 17-year-old hitman for $1,500. While Grady was sitting in the living room of his trailer home, Chris Wyant entered and shot him in the back of the head. Grady was 55 years old when he was murdered. Unlike Grady Stiles, Wyant was sentenced to 27 years in prison for the murder. Mary also stood trial and received a sentence of 12 years in prison. Grady Stiles' funeral was barely attended by anyone, and not one volunteer to be a pallbearer was made. Understandably, he was hated by the community. His entire life was marked by tragedy, hate, anger, abuse, and most of all, bloody violence. Some in the carnival community confirm that he was an ill-tempered man, and others go so far as to say that he was like Satan. Petrifaction is sponsored by LegacyBrewing.shop, home of the best gourmet coffee. It's about the coffee there, and at LegacyBrewing.shop, you can find basically all your coffee needs, from flavored coffees to mugs and even coffee machines. Check us out at LegacyBrewing.shop. There's an old urban legend in Vermont's Green Mountain National Forest of the Bennington Monster, a Sasquatch-like creature 
who's supposed to prowl the area. In 1946, an 18-year-old college student named Paula Weldon told her roommate she was heading for a walk along the forest's long trail. Though several witnesses saw Weldon hitchhike to the trail and begin her walk, no one reported her return. Hundreds came out to search, but the investigation was botched and it remains an unsolved case to this day. Four other unexplained vanishings took place around the same area between 1945 and 1950, which has led to this part of the wilderness being called the Bennington Triangle. Sure, there could be a myriad of possible explanations, but having a Sasquatch lurking in the woods makes for some spooky campfire stories. The most evil car in America is a 1964 Dodge 330 after it allegedly killed more than a dozen people. The car was first purchased by a police unit. During the car's career as a police vehicle, three officers drove it. Each officer who drove the car ended up committing murder-suicides, where they first murdered their families and then killed themselves. The eerie similarities made people wonder if the car was possessing its drivers. The next owner, Wendy Allen, had a similarly spooky experience with the vehicle. When Wendy drove on the highway, the car would open its doors without anyone touching them and jam its steering wheel, placing passengers in harm's way. When members of a local church heard about the car's reputation, they went out and vandalized the car to attempt to stop it from being used. The story goes that many of those who vandalized the car ended up decapitated by an 18-wheeler truck with one member struck by lightning. In 2007, a child who supposedly touched the car went on to kill his entire family much in the same way as the three officers. After this tragedy, local church members stole the car and chopped it up into small pieces, sending the pieces to multiple junkyards to ensure it was never reassembled. As far as we know, the car hasn't come back. Pele's curse is the belief that anything natively Hawaiian, such as sand, rock, or pumice, will bring bad luck on whoever takes it away from Hawaii. One version about the legend's genesis is this. A disgruntled park ranger, angry at the number of rocks that were being taken from the islands by visitors, said that Pele would curse them with bad luck should they take anything. Another version often told is that bus drivers, tired of the dirt and grime brought on their buses by the tourist collection of rocks, started the story at the beginning of each tour to discourage the rock collecting. The myth has caught on, told as if it were an original Hawaiian taboo, 
and every year countless tourists send these rocks back to escape the awful luck that Pele has caused them. One tourist reports his story of when he took a shimmering black lava rock from the big island of Hawaii while on vacation with his family. Once he got home from Cal- to California, one of his sons began having behavioral problems. His marriage fell apart. His mother died. So when he heard about Pele's curse, he decided to bring the rock back. He said his family's fortunes improved right away. Each year, hundreds of people mail, fly, or hike pieces of lava back to the Big Island, hoping that by returning rocks that they've snatched, they will break the curse, appease the goddess, and end their bad luck. The legend of Pele's curse is probably a 20th century origin, but I will note here the removal of rocks as souvenirs is frowned upon by Hawaiians, and also it is illegal to remove minerals from within a U.S. national park, not just Hawaii. The small city of Altoona, Pennsylvania, was once home to the Baker family, and today the Baker Mansion is home to one of the most haunted objects in the world. According to legend, the patriarch of the family, Elias Baker, was a domineering man who ruled his family with an iron fist. When his daughter, Anna, bought a wedding dress to marry the young man she had fallen for, her father refused. In retaliation, Anna swore to never marry and instead would wear the dress and dance alone every night before bed. Several claims say she slowly lost her mind. Today, the haunted dress is safely in the Baker Mansion, but seems to have absorbed the heartache and bitterness no doubt felt by Anna. The house is supposedly haunted by multiple members of the Baker family, but it is Anna, and subsequently her dress, that is the most active. According to claims, the dress doesn't just move on its own. It's been seen shaking violently, rocking back and forth, almost as if it's dancing. The activity spikes around Halloween. It's been known to cause hallucinations and make people see the apparition of a young woman dancing around the mansion. If you ever find yourself in Altoona, be sure to stop by the Baker Mansion. Despite the fact that Anna's dress is no longer on display due to preservation concerns, the opulent rooms and incredible furnishings are enough to get any history nerd excited. The Dover Demon of Dover, Massachusetts. A bright orange-eyed, four-foot-tall creature was spotted during one week in April 1977 by four people. First, at a stone wall along Farm Street, and two other times in the next 25 hours. One witness, Bill Bartlett, reported seeing the creature 
bathed in the high beams of his Volkswagen. Bartlett said the creature grabbed a rock with long fingers, slowly turning its head toward the approaching car, and stared into the light. He realized it wasn't a dog or cat. The entity possessed a large head shaped like a watermelon. In an interview, Bartlett told me that in the center of the head glowed two large, round, glassy, lidless eyes shining brightly like two large, orange marbles in the headlights. There was no discernible nose, mouth, or ears. The head seemed supported on a thin neck. The creature's body, according to Bartlett, was thin with long spindly arms and legs and large hands and feet. The shape reminded him of a baby's body, and its skin was hairless and appeared to be the rough texture of a shark. Then it vanished into history. Bartlett later made a drawing of the creature atop a stone wall. John Baxter, an eyewitness at the second sighting, sketched the demon leaning against a tree. In 2008, an Elmo Knows Your Name doll was given to a two-year-old boy named James. The toy is designed to plug into a computer where it will learn a few phrases and incorporate those phrases with the child's name. This Elmo started saying, Kill James? Listen to the report from 2008 posted by Alex Garcia. Everyone's going to be talking about this this weekend. A mother changes the batteries on her son's talking Elmo doll and is stunned to hear what comes out of its mouth. You will be too. Kill James? Kill James? That's right. The Elmo doll is saying kill James. That's the name of the boy who owns the Elmo Knows Your Name doll. You plug it into the computer so it will repeat the child's name. Well, the doll ran out of battery, so the mom replaced them. That's when it started making death threats. It's not something that really you would think that would ever come out of a toy, but once I heard it, I was just kind of distraught. Even worse, James began repeating the phrase, so his mom had to hide the toy. Fisher-Price makes the doll and says it will issue a voucher to replace it. It is also examining Elmo to figure out what went wrong and looking at other toys to find out if they are bloodthirsty as well. that's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories.
please return next time to hear more stories. And friends, be prepared to be petrified. <laughs>